The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to another episode of Three Yards Per Carry. This is a dreary edition with me and Simon Clancy here. I will have Chris Kaufman on for the second half of the show. But first, a word from one of our sponsors, AutoNation. Since AutoNation is America's largest automotive retailer, chances are they have the vehicle you're looking for. Shop for over 100,000 new cars, trucks, vans, and sport utilities. From the luxury of a Mercedes-Benz to that Chevy pickup truck you always wanted, they've got it. AutoNation helps finance over 430,000 people every single year. And you could be next. Get a great rate today. AutoNation strives to make the car buying process quick and easy, but most of all stress-free. In addition to an extensive selection, all pre-owned vehicles go through a rigorous 125-point inspection and come with an everyday low, no-haggle price. One price, no pressure, guaranteed. Start your search right now at AutoNation.com. And of course, you need a Chevy, you need a GM, you need a used car. Go to that store at 8600 Pines Boulevard and go see my friends there, Aldo and Miguel, and tell them that three yards per carry sent you. Okay, Simon. Mm. This game yesterday. Mm. I'll 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 be very brief with brief with my my thoughts. The game starts and I'm thinking to myself, oh, of course they're gonna get killed. This is gonna be awful. Let me just you know check in on this Cowboy score. Or let me watch the Cowboy game because surely they won't let us down and they'll preserve our shot at not getting in with nine and seven. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you and I were just talking off air then, uh, and you said, "How did I feel about the game?" And I said, it, "It was a fucking disaster, followed by fucking magic, followed by fucking disaster." <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, I'm sitting there. Uh, let, let me let me no, go for it. Take you through through my thoughts during the game. I'm sitting there and I'm like, "Okay, game's over already. It's twenty-one nothing." And it, at that point, it really looked like they were going to score sixty. Okay, and our offense wasn't doing much of anything. So at this point, I'm like, okay, forget about this. Let's see, because surely the, the Cowboys are not going to, you know, put up with this crap from the, the Colts, and they're, they're going to beat them. Well, no, it's actually worse, okay, because they lost by 23. We ended up losing by 24. But then I start looking at our game, and, you know, we're right there, right before the half, and Tannehill misses a wide-open Drake on the swing pass. Maybe he hits him, and it's 21-14. Then Callum Balaz rips off a 75-yard run, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God. The Vikings are doing this thing that they do, which is be spectacularly good at losing games that seem won. And then it didn't happen. The fourth quarter came, and it was just an absolute nightmare. <laughs> Take me through your experience watching this game. So I didn't watch it live. I had to watch it uh, 
as live. Um, the game had finished by the time I started watching it, but I kind of shut off all my WhatsApp groups and avoid every social media and everything else. Um, but I was driving my kids uh, home and um, about, so what was it, one o'clock kickoff? So I'm just trying to think US time. So about one thirty-five US time, I asked my daughter just to Google NFL scores, but under no circumstances was she to mention Miami, Minnesota. So she read them through and I, you know, obviously keen on Dallas, Indianapolis, um, Green Bay, Chicago, because my, my other half is a Green Bay fan, uh, Tennessee and um, Baltimore. And at that point, it was 6 nothing to the Buccaneers. It was 7 nothing to the Cat, to the Colts. It was nil-nil in the, in the Bears-Packers uh, game, nil-nil in the Titans game. And I was like, okay, that's fine. And then about 20 minutes later, because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm itching to, to find out what's going on. I'm itching to find out what's happening to the Dolphins, but don't want to ruin it because I want to kind of keep the surprise. So I said to her, well, go, go, just read the scores. Whatever you do, don't mention the Miami-Minnesota score. I won't. She says, I won't. So she says it's now uh, something like Indianapolis 14, Dallas nothing. And I'm like, fuck the fucking... <laughs> Actually, I'm sorry. Somebody told me not to swear so much. Um, so I won't. I'll try not to swear so much. Um, so I'm thinking those blasted cowboys uh, can't even do us a favour. Then Baltimore were then up sort of 7-6 or 12-6 or something. And I was like... Damn and blast you, Lamar Jackson. And then um, uh, Green Bay were losing as well. And, and then my daughter just went, Dad, why are Miami so bad? And I was like, uh, um, I mean, I thought you weren't going to mention it. And she, goes, she was like, I, I, I mean, I didn't, nothing's happened. I'm just asking why they're so bad. And I was like, <laughs> if, you, if, they were, if they'd been winning, you wouldn't have asked me why they were so bad. And she was like, I didn't say anything. So in my head, I'm just thinking, Oh no, this is terrifying. So I get home, it's the game on, on, on TV at home. So uh, rather than having to watch Game Pass, it's actually live on TV. I'd recorded it. And within, you know, about what seemed like about eight seconds, we were 21 nothing down. And then, you know, it was chunk play after chunk play after chunk play. It was just embarrassing. And I'm like, this is the worst thing that's. Uh, uh, I, I genuinely thought about just turning it off and thinking, this is going to be like 56 nothing and just horrendous. <laughs> yes. Then all of a sudden, there's the, there's the pick six. We start to stiffen up a bit. We punt the ball. Uh, they punt the ball, I mean. And then, you know, we drive down at the end of the first half. And I'm th thinking, it's going to be 21-14. And we're getting the ball back at the start of the second half. You know, this is amazing. <laughs> and then, obviously, you know, I mean, you mentioned the Kenyan Drake. I, I don't think Drake would have got in, actually, because I do think there were two defenders in, in that vicinity. It would have been close. The Amandola drop at the goal line, you know, and then the, the almost pick with that bad throw to Parker, but being hit or whatever. So... 21-10, yeah, whatever, we'll take it. Bellage rips off the big one. So at 21-17, I'm like, giddy, giddy as a child. Like thinking, oh my God, they're going to they're gonna do this again. And also I got, I got a direct message on Twitter from somebody and I hadn't read it because I knew it would be about the Dolphins. But I just thought, nobody's going to send me a message unless the Dolphins have just done, it, done something spectacular. And given that they're 21-0 down, and then all of a sudden it's 21 17. I'm thinking, this is what's happened. They've just got this ridiculous run. They've won on the road in Minnesota and, and somebody's messed. So I'm like, I'm just so excited. And then when we end up losing, it's double the disappointment because I, I, I thought that we were going to win. And then I had that ripped away from me. So, uh, so that essentially was just my Sunday. It was just, I kind of, we mentioned this on WhatsApp 45 minutes ago. I've kind of run out of things to say. You know, I, I, and I don't mean that. In a, I don't mean that in a negative way or a, a you know sit and criticise way. I, I've kind of run out of stuff, not excuses, 
I've just run out of reasoning. I think I've just run out of not patience. I'm kind of I didn't think we'd win this game anyway. I think Minnesota are the best team we'll play all season on paper. Um and I think a lot of that showed up yesterday. Um I think we were out coached a bit yesterday. Or not out coached, because I, th- I actually thought we I just thought once we got our dicks in the game, I, I, I thought we, we played pretty well for a period. But you know, it was obvious and it was obvious from it may have been the first possession, but it, I, I've got a feeling it was the second possession. We had what probably would have been, if we'd had a healthy Ryan Tannehill, a, a probably a 25, 30-yard QB keeper on an RPO. Yes. And, and Tannehill saw it, and I think it was Everson Griffin that bit inside ridiculously hard. And I think Harrison Smith bit inside ridiculously hard. And the right side of the field towards the Viking sideline was wide open, was wide open. Yes. And, and, he, and he saw it because you, you saw him see it and he almost resignedly just handed the ball to Frank Gore. And obviously a fit Ryan Tannehill rips that off and you, you know, you probably gets to sort of midfield all of a sudden. And at that point you just thought, and I, I suspect Mike Zimmer at that point just thought, this kid is, you know, this kid cannot move particularly yeah. and, and that's what happened yeah that's what happened and they you know they just flooded the they they, they flooded with with five-man blitzes sometimes they send safeties as well and you know it, it's impossible to and their defensive line is good tom johnson and and uh, griffin and obviously daniel hunter's brilliant they sent Barr. they sent smith uh you know we just couldn't block them and you know people talk about oh ryan needs to get the ball out Part of the issue, I'd like to see the All-22, but I, I'm not sure if I can be bothered, but the guys aren't getting open. You know, are they, they're not be, are they being schemed open? Are they, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's frustrating. It's it's disappointing. I'm not surprised. We're 7-7. Seven and seven. You know, I was having a conversation with Ethan Skolnick, who, who runs the Five Reasons Sports Network last night. And, you know, uh, Ethan feels that a lot of the blame is on Adam Gaze's shoulders. Um, I am thinking that, you know, given the situation that we're in, we're doing a fairly remarkable job of things, really, when you consider, you know, everything that's happening in terms of the injuries and the, you know, somebody sent me a tweet earlier on about the the, the ridiculous amount of injuries that we've had and the, you know, where that stacks up across the league and percentage-wise, I now can't find it, but whoever sent it, thank you, because it was very good. I think it was a guy called Brett, um, and it was just really interesting just to see it, you know, and people talking about excuses and uh, I mean, does it, 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 does it fit our narrative that we say it's an excuse over and over again, or does it fit their narrative that we're using it as an excuse? Do you see what I mean? Uh, yeah. I mean, we've all got narratives. We've all got, I just think, I just think my overriding feeling yesterday, and I know I'm on a bit of a rant, but I think my overriding feeling yesterday was for whatever reason, and I don't think it's that we can't win on the road because I think ultimately we probably could win on the road. What I think most of all is that when it comes to critical games that we have to win, that we need to win, you know, like when we were 3-0 and early in the season, we went to New England, there was a lot, all that excitement and we needed to win. That was a statement game for, that, for the franchise and we needed to win and we stepped on our dicks. And we just didn't have the fortitude, the mental toughness, the whatever it was, whatever it was. I don't know, you know, and, and Gaze talked about it, but, uh, you know, you know, he talks about, you know, when we went to New England during the season and for whatever reason, guys, you know, it wasn't like there was a lack of effort. It wasn't like there was a lack of intensity, but we just, we just got smoked. 
Yeah. You know, they just got blitzed. Yeah, we went to Minnesota yesterday in a game that, you know, we had to win. You know, we had to win it because now I think our, our chance of making the playoffs are now at 3%. And I think they were like 47% or something before this game. So we had to win this game. But we turned up, and whether it was mental weakness or whatever it is, we just got smoked again. We weren't ready or capable of winning a game that we had to have, that we knew before the game that we had to have. It's not like winning the, the Miami Miracle game or against the Bears, because that was early in the season, the Miracle game. You know, you, it's at home and there's different circumstances. You weren't expected to win that game. The expectation to win this game wasn't particularly great either, but the team knew that they had, they had to win this game. Yeah, they had to win this. Otherwise, what, all that happened the week before was just an anomaly. You know, as great as the miracle was and as great as it will always be, losing yesterday means the miracle didn't really count for much. It counted for, for all the excitement and all the wonderful stuff and the, the slaying of New England. But actually, in the grand scheme of things, it didn't count for anything. And that's possibly the most disappointing thing. I, it just... We just don't have the stones to win a game that we need to win. And I don't know how that's ever going to change, when that'll ever change. You know, I mean, you look at Ryan T I mean, Ryan, I've been on and off and on and off and on and off Ryan Tannehill. And I so badly want him to succeed. But Barry Jackson tweeted something today, which I just thought was phenomenal. And I didn't realise that it was this situation. And this sort of blows my mind, I think. Ryan Tannehill... I mean, this is one of the most disturbing statistics I've heard. In his career, and what is this, year seven, year eight? Yes. Year seven. He is 3-13 and 13 on the road against teams that were playoff teams that season. Three and th In his career, he's won three games on the road against playoff teams. One of those was in 2012. One of those was in 2013. So from 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, 20, so five seasons, he missed, a season in, oh, he missed a season and a half, essentially. He's won no games, or one game, sorry, since 2013 against the playoff team on the road. That is an astonishing, <laughs> astonishing, and, and we've been smoked. Uh, I mean, the four, he's lost four consecutive road games against playoff teams by a score of 117 to 48. I mean, that is astonishing. I mean, and it's not even winning the games, actually. It's playing well in them. Yes. There, was, there were issues yesterday, and we know about what the issues were because the, we couldn't block for shit. I mean, he threw a pass to Danny Amendola, a C-map to Danny Amendola that hit Mac Alexander's hand. It was, it was really well played by the DB. It was also a really well-thrown ball. It was a really well-thrown ball. Yes. Um, but it's hard to run away from statistics like that. It's hard to make you think, you know, you can... And I suppose this is the thing, isn't it? This is the ebb and flow of Ryan Tannehill. We had the beauty last week and we had the beast this week. And I don't know. I don't know. I'm just at a loss. It's just frustrating, isn't it? Fucking hell, it's frustrating. Well, we're going to get into it when we come back after you tell the people about Bet DSI. Yeah, I mean, do they care about... I mean, do they care about... Do you think you can get a, a bet on a Ryan Tannehill winning a... Do, the, do you think even the people care about him? No, they probably don't care about, about him, Ryan Tannehill, but the NFL and NCAA seasons are coming to an end. Miami have two games left. We are not going to the playoffs, people. We are not going to the playoffs. Bowl game starting. Take your pick skin knowledge to the bank with our friends at betdsi.com. 
help you get started, they're often double your money on your first deposit. So you deposit, start winning, and get $2,500 for free. Double your money from the start. When it comes to football, they've got every wage you could want or imagine. If it's happening in sports, they'll put a line on it. The NFL, the NCAA, NBA basketball, baseball, March Madness, next March, UFC, Premier League, eSports, whatever you can think of. Join BetDSI today using promo code YARDS101. That's us, YARDS101, to get in the action and get paid. Do not stand on the sidelines. Enjoy the games that much more when you play at BetDSI.com. So. All right. Now, you asked if they had anything on Brian Tannehill. I dug something up. They had the over-under on passing yards for Ryan Tannehill yesterday. Can you guess the number? Um, so it was under 160, maybe. <laughs> the number was under or over 215 yards passing. Wow. And what did he get now? Was about 68 or something ridiculous? <laughs> yeah, he had a, what was it, 102 or something? I don't know, because I, honestly, when we went 41, 17, what was it, 42, 17, whatever it was, I, I fast-forwarded through pretty much the back <laughs> five or six minutes of the fourth quarter so I, I saw him make a couple of completions but I didn't really I wasn't really paying any attention because I was so pissed off at that point yeah um, well this is what I got from that game when the score is 21 17 the the game is eminently winnable they get three possessions before the Vikings score a single point so they had three possessions to take the lead down 21 17 okay now hmm. At that point, the Vikings had figured out, we're going to start sending five-man pressures and sometimes six and sometimes seven. And to try to short-circuit the Dolphins' running game, Dolphins' passing game, short-circuit Ryan Tannehill. So we decided to throw the kitchen sink at it, really, because we started using some max protection, which we haven't seen in a while, uh, running, running um, a man in motion to try to flood a zone, to try to discourage them from sending extra players. They did it anyway. We started running double and nine routes, and that didn't work either. And although on one of them, Kenny Stills was wide open, and Ryan Tannehill just completely missed him. So it wasn't like they didn't adjust. They tried everything in the book, and it didn't matter. Those nine sacks were going to come. Anyway, the interior of this offensive line is an abomination. And mm -hmm. Jawan James wasn't that much better yesterday either. Yeah, he was thought, a bad game. And I thought even Tunsil got beat mm -hmm. a couple of times. So, Although Hunter's a really good player. I yes, mean, Dylan he, Hunter's a really good player. He's I mean, very good. No, and Anthony Barr was playing, you know, with his hair on fire. Yes. Do you do you think? Here's a question for you. Do you think that, like, to go on the road and win those big games on the road, the stuff that we see the Patriots do, the stuff that we've seen the Steelers do, and the Saints do, and all those teams that have been really good for a long time, or you know, even if they've been bad for a few years they've come back and be really good and you look at like somebody like the saints with ram chick and andrus pete is one of the best guards in the nfl and you look at the patriots and and what they do with that line and you know they kind of rotate different you know almost different players in each year but you know marcus cannon second team all pro last year uh, they had uh, what's his name who went to the to the giants nate solder for a long time trent brown solder for trent brown brown's played really well you know they drafted they drafted logan mankins and everyone's like whoa crikey that's a bit of a reach and he's you know borderline hall of fame guard at the end of his career mm -hmm. david andrews is just one of the best centers in the nfl do you think about 
the offensive and defensive lines. And we're just so lightweight in those areas. And Tunsil aside and, and James, you know, I've, and I've always made the argument that if you've got a decent left, the right tackle in this league, you're doing better than a lot of teams. And James is a decent enough right tackle in this league. But do you just think that we just lack the physicality on both lines? Because that's really where you get your, you grind out your yards in the run game on the road. When you need to, when, the, when your balls are on the chopping block, can you rely on five big uglies to, you know, smash people in the face and move the ball four or five? So you, you look at the way the Steelers, you know, Steelers for years under Ross, with Roethlisberger had really average lines and Ben used to get hit all the time. And now you look at that group and that group's really good. Pouncy and DeCastro. And the two tackles are really, really good. They're just one of the best units in the NFL. And you just think that's the kind of smash mouth offensive line that we need. And then you flip it to the defensive line. I know we had Sue and whatever, but, you know, and Damakin had his issues just in terms of play style as much as anything. And, and, you know, Cameron Wake's, you know, I know his pressure stats are good, but pressure stats aren't going to win you. Get, you know, Dave's will talk about the fact that we get pressure, so much pressure and that's led to a lot of the interceptions. He's the coach. He looks at stuff way more than I do. He's probably right. But it just feels like we don't get pressure in massive situations on the road. We don't get interior pressure on massive situations in the road. Do you think that, that if our lines were beefier, that we had some snot knockers and some, you know, that things would just be a bit different? Well, yeah. But somebody pointed out earlier on, on Twitter, and I don't know who it was, that the Dallas Cowboys – built that offensive line of theirs better than pretty much anybody has ever done it before. And it really only stayed together for a year and a half. You take one injury in the state of the NFL, you replace one offensive lineman with somebody else. And I'll point you to that Cowboys Colts game yesterday. They were absolutely incompetent. Okay. Mm. And they were missing Zach Martin. He had missed his first game and, and almost. Well, they're missing Frederick and Martin and Tyron Smith. Yes. Well, uh, uh, Tyron Smith ended up playing in the game. But did he play? Okay. Yeah, he, he ended up playing in the game, and Leo Collins played. They were missing, of course, they're missing their center, and they missed Zach Martin. Smith's been injured. I mean, Smith is, if somebody's fallen off a cliff in the NFL, Tyron Smith, just with the injuries, is really, you know, he's gone from the best left tackle in the NFL to yeah. not just a guy, yeah. but he's really, really struggling really with injuries. He had yeah. two really bad penalties yesterday. He had one, one penalty on a 30-yard run by Zeke Elliott, and he had another penalty on like a 25-yard pass. Both of them the, converting long third downs. The Colts, the Colts who they played against are a perfect example. All of a sudden, the Colts have got this snot-knocking offensive line led by the kid Ryan Kelly that they drafted in the first round out of Notre Dame, led by Quentin Nelson, who's, who's playing really well. Costanzo, obviously, still there. They've got these guys that are just smasher in the mouth, down after down. Snap and the defensive line's the same. They've got a bunch of no-name guys now who are just smashing in the mouth and allowing those linebackers and Malik Hooker to clear up. And I don't know. I just I don't know what it is. What, I, it thought, is. what I thought was really interesting, and I don't know if you watched it with, uh, with the sound on, but in the third quarter, when the score was 21-17, and it kind of looked like you know all the momentum was on our side, the announcers said, Robert Quinn and Cameron Wake have changed this game for the Miami Dolphins. Hmm. <laughs> and it was interesting because uh, the Vikings did get away a little bit from their running game. What, what, I wouldn't say that they completely abandoned the running game, but they weren't satisfied with what the running game was giving them because now that they were, they were running it on first down and they were getting two yards or they were getting one yard or no gain, and then they were throwing on second and third down and then going three and out. 
And what was happening to Kirk Cousins is that he was getting hit repeatedly over and over and over again by Quinn and Cameron Wake. But as soon as they found their running game, it was just the floodgates just opened again. And I think there was a there was a, a little sense of resignation by our defense. Like, holy crap, man. We, you know, we get these guys out of here three consecutive drives and hand the ball back to you, and you can't give us anything. We're still at 21-17. Where the defense would get off thinking that that was okay, you know, given how they've – I mean, the defense this year – the numbers are historically bad. Yes. I, mean, I saw, I saw um, Carl Krabs, the, the, the good guy from, uh, from grinding the tape on social media, was tweeting a load of numbers earlier on, which I'm trying to find because he, he does tweet a lot. But, um, I mean, the defense is historically bad. I mean, I think um, – okay, so Miami's four touchdowns away from having the worst scoring defense in history. They've now allowed – more yards in 14 games than the 1-15 team allowed in 16 games in 2007. That blows my mind. We've permitted 5,632 yards this season. The 2007 Dolphins allowed 5,475. That is absolutely astonishing. Here's another one as well. Adam Gaze's 2017 and 2018 Dolphins team are two of just five teams in the history of the franchise to have a minus 100 or higher point differential. The others were the 1-15 team and the first two seasons of the team's existence in 67 and 68. And that is it. That is depressing. <laughs> depressing. Yeah. And let's not forget where we are and what got us here. I've said this before, and I was saying it in the, in the little chat that we have on, on Twitter uh, amongst all the hosts on the Five Reasons Sports Network. I was saying that this team has done absolutely nothing extraordinary this year. And people will bring up the Chicago Bear game. Uh, us, all three of us picked the Dolphins to beat the Bears. And we all had different reasons, mainly because we were at home. And I brought up the idea of uh, how it was almost a trend in the NFL that whenever your starter went down, that first game with your backup quarterback, teams tended to win a lot, especially if, if they were at home. We had Brock Osweiler. We ended up winning the game. Okay, then uh, you could say, oh, wait a minute, but that miracle game, that's something extraordinary. I would say and I would argue it's not because the Dolphins have beaten the the Patriots five out of the last six times here in Miami. So I think that this season, because I don't think that they can do anything more, anything extraordinary the rest of the way, because if they win the next two games, they're favored in both games. So if they win the next two games, they're going to go nine and seven and they would have done absolutely nothing all year that would have made us say wow you know they they really blew our minds you know they they overachieved so in my opinion they can only now underachieve if they lose any one of these last two games so I think that this season is just going to go down as one of those seasons I actually I would say kind of forgettable because it's you know they really didn't do anything extraordinary anything that will really, you know, remember them overachieving or even underachieving. They just existed this year. I don't know what your take on that is, but that's mine. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. I've got a question for you. Do you think, because this is not a one-year fix. It's not like the Dolphins are going to be in the Super Bowl next year. No. It feels like it's a long-term thing. Do you think that Adam Gaze will be here to see out the thing, or do you think that somebody else, that they'll just, you know, that Steve Ross will just decide, you know what, enough is enough. 
Well, I think that uh, Adam Gase has coached his way to a point where you can't fire him because I do expect him to win the next two games. I'm going to pick well, him. What, 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 if Jim Harbaugh, what if Jim Harbaugh tells Steve Ross that he, he feels like he wants to come back to the NFL? They're not better off because I've, I've always said, and I've said it on this podcast, that Stephen Ross strikes me as one of those over-emotional fans. And I, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. It just means he really, really cares. Okay. What if John Harbaugh gets uh, sacked think, by Baltimore? I think you have to consider, in my opinion, I would consider John Harbaugh before I would consider Jim, to be honest with you. No, no, I would too. I mean, to okay. me, Jim Harbaugh is somebody that the game has passed by. Yes. Frankly, I mean, I've watched you know, enough Michigan to see that offensively, and whether that's Pep Hamilton or whether that's Jim Harbaugh. But I don't know. It's just, um, it doesn't feel like there's a quick fix pill out there for Miami. No. Even if, you know, we're all high on Kyler Murray, for example. But even if we draft Kyler Murray, it's not like I don't see him coming into the NFL, ripping it up, doing Pat Mahomes and pushing Miami to the deep into the playoffs. That, I mean, realistically, that's not going to happen. Yeah, but I think where we, are, yeah, where we are right now is that I do expect him to win the next two games. And that means that he would have gone 9-7 and seven after going 6-10, and 10, after going 10-6. and six. Now, that's not a bad record, okay? That's two winning seasons and three. And you could argue that this year – we said it at the time. We felt that that Colts game decided the season. As it turns out, had they won that game, we would be sitting here right now, fresh off of a loss against the Vikings, with the Dolphins controlling their own destiny, winning the next two games, being into the playoffs, period, not needing anybody's help. So it turned out that that Colts game ended up deciding the season. Okay? So yeah. I think that next year – I think you have an Adam Gase that's going to have a very short leash. And I don't know what that means for as far as the, all the cap space that they can create. I don't know if they're going to let him spend on, on that money. So they might tell him, look, this is the team you built. You get to fix some of the offensive line because, you know, it's in our best interests. But are, are we going to let you spend $100 million on, let's say, a Jadavian Clowney? No, we're not going to let you do that. So I think I mean, they've undergone – a pretty steady rebuild three years ago it started and you could see the pieces in place but two places have been I wouldn't say ignored but I think they've had a lot of misses on them and that's the offensive line and the defensive line and I think that that's where they have to go this offseason I'm just going to pick some positions for you okay and I just want you to, I'm just going to good enough or not next season is Ryan Tannehill good enough or not He's good enough as a caretaker, but not for long. He needs to have either competition, and I mean veteran competition, maybe a Teddy Bridgewater, or an, uh, a first-round quarterback, or a second-round quarterback. Uh, uh, let's just say a top 100 pick quarterback that we've decided is the man going forward. And I do, I do, I do not see an, an extension in Ryan Tannehill's future. It's I think he would, he, would need to win the, he would need to win an MVP next year. Will Frank Gore be back? No, I think Callum Balazs is the starter next year, along with Kenyon Drake. I think they share the they share the ball, but obviously, at Gase seems to like that sledgehammer approach. So I would say, you know, Balazs gets 180 carries, Drake gets about 140 next year. 150. Do you think Kenny Stills will be on the team next season? Yes, I think that the, the entire receiver core returns, minus Devontae Parker, and they might even have Bryce Butler in place of Devontae Parker, or maybe a, a draft pick. Do you think that they continue to go with Mike Gesicki, given how disappointing he's been? Yes. The, I think that there's, I want to say stuck, 
I, I would say that they're they're happy with what they have and they'll give it one more shot. Uh, very quietly, uh, Durham Smith has played very, very well. Yeah, uh, Nick O'Leary is a, is a serviceable player and they got Marquise Gray coming back. So I think that you're not necessarily happy with the tight ends you have, but you're hopeful. Let's just say you're hopeful that Gaseki could develop. Do you think it's fair to say that there is a possibility that none of Andre Branch, Charles Harris, Cameron Wake, and Robert Quinn will be here next season? I think one of them will be back, and I would say that the guy that's going to be back is Cam Wake, probably on a one-year deal. Do you think and... Charles Harris? I mean, Harris, looking at him, I mean, there's nothing there. No, there really isn't. There's nothing and, there. Uh, uh, there, was a, there was a moment in that Vikings game, which was – the quintessential Charles Harris play, okay? And uh, they drop him into coverage. And when they drop him into coverage, he goes into the short zone, right, right, right into that throwing lane between the, the left tackle and the left guard, right? And Cousins throws it right at him. Charles Harris doesn't see it. And it gets completed by St- to Stephon Diggs for about an 11-yard catch. And when you see the replay, the reason he doesn't see it is because he's vacating the spot to go pick up uh, a running back out of the backfield when, which is obviously not his assignment. So, I watched the All-22 against the Patriots, and he was getting mullered at the point of attack by tight ends, not even, and not even Gronkowski. He was yeah. getting mullered at the point of attack. I mean, driven off the ball. Okay, here's a positive one for you. Do you think it's fair to say that Raquel McMillan and Jerome Baker are significantly better players now they were earlier in the season. Absolutely, especially Jerome Baker. I like him a lot. He's a keeper. He's a keeper, and he's a keeper for a very long time. Do you think that Miami needs a high-level starting outside corner so that he can play Minka Fitzpatrick completely at free safety? Well, uh, let's remember that Cordero Tankersley, his issues are mental, and they're not physical. So he's going to have an absolute shot to do it again next year. If they can spend, I don't know if you want to spend because you're going to have to pay Xavier Howard pretty soon. And then you're going to have to pay Minka Fitzpatrick. How many multimillionaires do you want in that secondary? You're already paying Rashad Jones. So, so, so do you I think they spend? I think they, maybe they use a day two pick. On a I mean, you look at guys like Jason Verrett and uh, Bradley Roby, who are both free agents, for example. I mean, both good players, but, you know, probably going to cost some significant money. Do you think that you could justify drafting D.D. Baker or Greedy Williams in the first round and shore up that? Because essentially you're then shoring up two spots for the price of one, aren't you? Because you are, you're shoring up outside corner and you're shoring up free safety because you can move Mink back to a, a position where we think would suit him better. Mm-hmm. That means Rashad can drop into the box a bit more as he's discussed. Um, McCain stays in the slot and, you know, things look a little brighter potentially on the back end. Yeah, I, w- I would say so, uh, especially Greedy Williams. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know Close. if we're going to be able to get him. Like, uh, man, yeah. you know, we're going to win. I think we're going to win these last two games. So, yeah. So, I think if, especially that, that Jaguar game. Jaguar, the Jaguars are already looking for tee times. Uh, <laughs> they're thinking about drafting Haskins. They're trying to get as, as many losses as they can, okay? So well, I think the they're Colts handing week. us the game on Sunday, to be honest with you. To be honest. I, I, I don't know. They, were, they look, you know, the Colts are a good team. I said it when we went to play the Colts. The Colts are a good team, and 
they, I mean, they held the Colts without, you know, big goose egg the Colts laid, zero points. Yeah. I don't think, um, I think that Jacksonville defense is ready to play. And, you know, Leonard Fournette is going to be, you know, he's not had a great season, he's been injured, but, I mean, you'll be looking at that tape thinking I can run for 100 plus yards here. Um, one other question, which has completely now gone out of my head, um, but it was bound to be fucking disappointing. So I'll probably just, <laughs> I'll probably just, oh, so yeah, the news if you hadn't heard, Frank Gore is out for the season. Uh, Rashad Jones uh, spoke to the press and said he had no idea why he was playing, being played more as free safety and not in the box. Well, I, I, the answer to that is that TJ McDonald is not somebody that you want to play at free safety. You do not want to play TJ at single high so that Rashad can roam about in the, in the box. I mean, that to me is common sense. I mean, we can play yeah. TJ McDonald at free safety, single high if you want to, but, you know, good luck with that. I mean, maybe you do it next week because, you know, Blake Balls can't throw. Um, but... I mean, that to me is the, is the reason why. Kenyon Drake, on the other hand, said that he had one carry uh, and just needs to play better. I've been told that Drake has really, I mean, is the walking wounded. and The team do not want to run in between the tackles because they essentially want to keep him on the field to do all the other stuff he does, the misdirection, the catching balls out the backfield, those sorts of things. When I mentioned that on Twitter earlier, somebody did make a very good point as to why then he's, he, is he on returns, which I don't have an answer for. Um, I would suggest that 95 times out of 100, he's not going to be bringing the ball out. And if he is bringing the ball out, he's doing it of his own accord. It's not like maybe he's trying to prove a point. I mean, he's a tough kid. He's a hard kid. He's a tough kid. He's built like a brick outhouse. So I don't have all the answers. I don't know why he's on kick returns and why they're not running him so much. But I do know that they don't want to run him because they don't want to run him between the tackles. So his, his shoulders, you know, he's got both knackered shoulders and a knackered ankle. I, I just don't think that's what they want to to do. That's certainly what I've been told. But yeah. Oh, God. When's it ever going to get any better? <laughs> when they get a better quarterback. <laughs> yeah, it's probably, you asked, probably right. You asked me earlier in the show, you know, uh, how do you win some of these road playoff games? And sometimes the answer is as simple as having one guy, the, the guy who has the ball in his hands every single play, guide you to one of, those, one of these wins on the road. The, the golden goose isn't out there, though, mate, is it? Like uh, Teddy Bridgewater, people keep saying about Teddy. Teddy Bridgewater has become a Hall of Famer by virtue of not playing. Yeah, I mean, I like you know Bridgewater is a perfectly decent quarterback. Yeah, and, and, and I've heard and I've heard people uh, complain about Ryan Tannehill's salary, but then you go on Twitter and you look like and you say, you know, but it's going to cost you about thirty million dollars for two years. Yeah, what you, yeah, and everybody's like, yeah, 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 go ahead, go ahead, pay him, pay him, pay him. What do you think Bridgewater is going to get exactly? I mean, what do, what do people think he's going to get? <laughs> I mean, he's not going to be just like, oh, don't worry, it's, you know. I mean, he just got six thousand. He got just got six million, just to sit on the bench for one year for the Saints, and that was a, essentially a, a significantly toned down deal. Yeah, you know, he's I don't know. I mean, it was a twenty-two million. He was on a twenty-two million dollar deal. You know, per se, his base salary was twenty-two million dollars if he stays on at the Saints for the next two years. So. I don't know. It's, yeah, um, he's not going to be cheap. He's not going to yeah. be cheap, and and he might he might even insist on being the name the starter as soon as he's signed. So, yeah, like I would say that that's the the optimal situation. Like, you do you think if one more year and then you give Bridgewater a one year deal? Do you think if Gaze stays, part of the deal he stays is that that Ross says right, you've got to get rid of Matt, Matt Burke. Vance Joseph can come back. He'll probably yeah. get whacked in Denver. Yes. That would seem like an easy scenario. Ryan Tannehill has to go. We have to invest in a Teddy Bridgewater and we have to invest in a rookie quarterback. And that might be, God help us, Will Greer. Or it might be 
uh, Drew Locke, or it might be Eastern Stick, the the kid from North Dakota, um, you know, or it might be Kyler Murray, or we might get into the Justin Herbert derby, and, and we uh, have the understanding that you know th- there are certain members of the Dolphins front office who have large boners for for Justin Herbert. It may be Dwayne Haskins, you know. We'll just have to wait and see. But you know, I can certainly see that as a scenario that Absolutely. you know he's told that Burke is gone, that you're on a very short leash, that unfortunately the talent experiment is over. And that we, if we spend money in free agency, it's going after, it's going after to, to Bridgewater, and it's trying to find a quarterback that you're drafting in the first two rounds to say this is the kid, and if it's not this kid, then we're going to do it again next year, and we're going to do it the year after, and we're going to until we get the right kid. Yeah, I think uh, I'm one of these people that pays attention to everything, especially what the owner says. And if you remember clearly, when he hired Adam Gase. He said, he said very clearly what the goals were. He wanted a team that it was an afterthought that they would make the playoffs every single year. So he didn't necessarily say, I demand Super Bowls. I want championships. He wanted a team that would consistently compete for the playoffs and make the playoffs every single year. He wanted essentially the Pittsburgh Steelers is what he wanted here. Uh, it hasn't happened so far. Okay. They had an opportunity to make the playoffs this year. I think they're going to just miss and they're probably going to miss by a game. So yeah, I would say that's probably the best scenario. That's probably what's going to happen. He's going to be on a short leash and he's probably, he's essentially going to be told make the playoffs or, you know, make your plans elsewhere. I'm pretty sure that that's, he's going to be given an ultimatum next year. Do you think if we had Aaron Rodgers or Ben Roethlisberger or Philip Rivers? They'd be competing for the Super Bowl. Do you think so? Do you genuinely think so? Absolutely. With Aaron Rodgers? Absolutely. With our receiver core and the running backs that we have? Yes, I think so. Because it's, it's not like we had Aaron Rodgers to go 7-1 and one at home. Okay? We did that with Brock Osweiler and Ryan Tannehill. Now, do, do you see, do you honestly believe that Aaron Rodgers with our talent would have gone 1-6 and six on the road this year? No. I think he's one and six on the road in Green Bay this year. <laughs> genuinely, I genuinely do. That's awesome. Yeah, but you know my opinion of that Green Bay team. I don't think it's very, very, very good. The Packers, do you know what the Packers are this season? No. Wow. <laughs> the Packers are 0 and 7 on the road. So, no, no, it's true. They haven't won a game on the road this season. They're 0 and 7. Jesus, and that's awful. How many of his last 12 road games has Aaron Rodgers won? Well, if he's won seven, then that means he's won one out of his he's last won 12. won one of his last 12 road games. Unbelievable. Yeah, Mike McCarthy did deserve to be fired. Wow. But seriously, do you, think, do you think Aaron Rodgers implodes in, um, in, um, in Cincinnati? I don't think so. Does, no. Aaron, does Aaron Rodgers, in that game against Indy, when we did essentially nothing for an entire quarter – once we had the 24 to 14 lead, do you think Aaron Rodgers preserves that 24 14 lead? Because if you believe those two things, if you just believe those two things, we're playing these last two games to go 11 and 5. Is 11 and 5 good enough? It might be good enough to win the division. I mean, year. the hilarious thing yesterday, and I know we're like taking up Chris's time, but the hilarious thing about yesterday was that if we'd won yesterday, we'd be going back. Out of the division. And if the Patriots had lost one more game and we won out, we'd be, we'd be division champions. Imagine that. It's insane. How, imagine if we'd won in Indianapolis or we'd won in Cincinnati. Imagine we'd be tied for the lead in the division with two games left, of which we'd be playing the three and 
11 Jacksonville Jaguars and the mightily shit Buffalo Bills, who would probably beat us anyway. That ultimately is the fr- most frustrating thing that sums up everything that we've just been talking about for the last 45 minutes, doesn't it? Yes, yes. It sums it up, pretty much does sum it up. It sums up everything. If we won three of those games... Because the story of this year could be that this New England Patriots train has finally run out of steam. It's coming off the rails. It's coming off the rails, and we had an opportunity to actually really do... We could have slayed slayed the dragon. Yes. We were up 20 to nothing on the road against the Bengals. We were up by 10 points halfway through the fourth quarter on the road to the Colts. With those two games, we slayed the dragon. We beat the Patriots to the division title. Yes, we did. And that's fact. By the way... that That is the ultimate dolphin frustration of the past... I mean, frankly, the past 34 years since I've been following this absolutely godforsaken shitstorm nightmare of a team <laughs> who's brought no. me so much heartache and so little joy. <laughs> so little joy. Yes. Well, we got to get out of here, okay? Yeah. And bring, bring, on, Kaufman. bring and, Kaufman on. And bring in Kaufman. But yes, I will leave things. you with this statistic and, and then just ask you one simple question, okay? Uh, Adam Patrick on Twitter, and I checked out the stat, and it's absolutely legitimate. At Straight Cash Homie, he has a great name for Twitter. He says that after yesterday's game, the Vikings are now 30-0. and 0. That's 30 games, 30 wins under Mike Zimmer when they run the ball 30 or more times. Okay, so this begs the question, why don't they run it 30 more times for the rest of their lives? Because Zimmer's an idiot. <laughs> That's yeah, all I exactly. All right, Simon. That's it. On the other side, we'll have Chris Kaufman. But first, awesome, oh no, before, no, 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 don't go to these words. I have something else to tell you, by the way. Okay. I just wanted to say thank you to all our amazing listeners, especially this guy or lady, in fact, who left this magical review. <laughs> and I mean, you literally just go straight to the trail after the back of this. As soon as I finish talking, just hit the trail because nothing's going to get better than this. This was a lovely review left on iTunes for us. So we thank you very much indeed. Mr. Ass Fuioo, spelled A-S-S-F-U-I-O-O-O, okay? And it says, here we go. The, the, you know you t- the little headline. And the headline is, a tad arrogant. A, t- a tad arrogant. Not massively arrogant, just, just a, a tad, a little bit, a soupçon, just a, a little bit arrogant. And the review reads, oh, we get one star for a tad arrogant. God knows what we'd be if we were, like, really arrogant. Mine, uh, can you mine a star on iTunes? Anyway, here we go. <clears throat> All three have backed Gaze and Tannehill, which makes credibility zero. He has a point. CK, that's Chris, is in love with his own opinion and has comical views on quarterback evaluation. Yep. Simon, this is my favorite bit, and not just because it's about me. Simon is okay, but is limited mentally. <laughs> well, you know, Alf, I don't know your, your, your psychiatrist, but... I mean, I'm, I'm, not limit, I'm not limited mentally, trust me. Okay. Alf is probably the only decent listen. He's kept oh, he's his right. ego in check. Yes. There you go. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> Limited mentally, probably the only decent one in love with his own opinion. Yeah. Thank you so much. The, these are the things that get me up in the morning and make all of this shit sat here at midnight 51 on a wet Monday evening in London. This is what keeps me going. The fact that somebody called Ass Foyoy <laughs> believes I am okay, but limited mentally. Play the trail. 
On the Five Reasons Podcast, we've got you covered on everything Miami sports. We've got a podcast out every Monday on the Dolphins and the football weekend. We've got original reporting on the big sports stories you care about, like trade talks involving Jimmy Butler and JT Real Muto, and great guests on both current events and a little Miami sports nostalgia. On a recent episode, we were joined by former Heat guard Tim Hardaway. Pat Rowley didn't want me to talk trash. We had to sit down and say, you know, he said, you know, I don't want you to be out there talking I want you to be, you know, concentrate on what we need to do and helping us win. So I was like, all right, fine. I, I won't talk because, you know, I like I like to talk. So I said, well, let me do it in practice. He said, okay, you can do it in practice, but not in game. I said, all right, fine. We've got you covered on the Five Reasons Sports Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, tune in, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Seth Levitt, and I am here with two-time Miami Dolphins team MVP. Seth, 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 man. They already know this is OJ McDuffie. Why don't you tell them what we're really here for? We're excited to join the crew at the Five Reasons Sports Network to bring you our new podcast, The Fish Tank, Dolphins Tales from the Deep. OJ, tell them what they can expect when they dive in. Yeah, Big Seth, we've got some of your favorite all-time Dolphin players in the tank sharing some of the best stories that you've never heard. So it looks like Sasquatch because he's <laughs> chasing me because you, you know Izzo with his clothes on. He's so hairy, that guy. <laughs> Why are you looking so, at me like I know yeah. Lizzo with his no, clothes off? Seth with his clothes off. So make sure you find the fish tank on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or if you're one of those Android people, Google Play Music, or on several cross-platform apps, including Podbean and Stitcher. Thanks for diving in. And we're back on this episode of Three Yards Per Carry. I have Chris Kaufman here with me. And good Lord, let's just get into it already. Mm-hmm. Chris, you saw the game. What did you see? Uh, yeah, I, I so I, what I saw actually was really unfortunate because at the beginning of the game, when everything was going so wrong, you know, they jump out to a 21 nothing lead, at least offensively, I saw, I saw what Adam Gase was trying to do in the game. And I actually really liked it. Uh, I liked what he was trying to do in that game. And I liked his ideas. Knowing what Miami and, and what Ryan Tannehill has been good at in his career, what Miami has been good at at various points this year that they haven't really done very often, but they should do more often. They tried to do some of those things more in this game because for whatever reason they saw they saw an opportunity there. And it was it was working. In many ways it was working. And and then they would just always find a way to screw it up. And that was what that was what was so unfortunate about the beginning of the game, when Minnesota ran out to that twenty-one nothing miss or twenty-one nothing lead, and um, it's just such a shame because this is not a team. What you realize is this is not a team that's going to come back from twenty-one nothing. Miami, they're just not going to. Uh, they don't have the quarterback to do that. They don't have um, the passing game to do that. They don't have the offensive line to do that. Um, they don't have probably not the play caller to do that because Adam Gase isn't really a super aggressive type of play caller that's trying to get get things opened up in the passing game downfield all the time but then again you know he's scared of his own offensive line that's you know that's part of it so they get down to this 21 nothing and the game was really over from there and I, I know they tease you know we thought they're going to get back into it and they did but the, they yeah they did but it's too much. It was too much. The The 21 nothing lead was too much. They got back into it a little bit, but they were never going to get back into it all the way because then the Vikings offense started to, to get going again too. too. I mean, you're not going to just 
keep shutting uh, the team down for three quarters, for, you know, three quarters shut them out and then come all the way back. Um, they're going to put on some more points and using that 21 nothing start, they're just going to outlast you. And, um, and what I saw, that's what I saw. It was really terrible first quarter uh, with mistakes on the offense on like sort of individual players taking turns. And then on defense, just, you know, defense was just awful in that first quarter. And then uh, from there, you know, the shortcomings at quarterback taking over. Um, and I, I, I really do feel there were shortcomings at quarterback in this game uh, that were exposed. Yeah, I, what I saw in this game was that, that failure at 21-17. They score on one play by Callum Balaj. Mm-hmm. And the Vikings go three and out. You get the ball back. You run five plays. You get four yards. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then you have the Vikings get a field goal after that uh, that uh, that return. Remember the return? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the punt return. So it's 24-17. It's not hopeless. No, it's not. At 24-17, it was, certainly was not hopeless. You get the ball back three plays, my negative three yards, you punt again. They, mm-hmm. get the, they get the ball. They go three and out again. Mm-hmm. You get the ball. You go three and out. Yeah. Now, they get the ball, and they mount together. They put together a 57-yard drive, and they go up 10. And right yeah. there, you really felt like, okay, you really, really need an answer now. You need to drive. You need to drive. You need to get a field goal. You mm-hmm. probably need a touchdown. You yeah. go three and out again. Yeah. And that's essentially the game because now they smell blood. They put, they put together a 55-yard drive. They get a touchdown, and now the game is essentially over. Well, the game was, the game was after they put together that 55-yard touchdown drive. I mean, it still would, would have been a game if they hadn't done that. But, but that's part of what I'm saying. You're not going to shut them down entirely for three quarters in their own house, probably. Um, so, you know, I, I think that that's, that's where I keep saying that using that 21 nothing lead, they outlasted us because they were going to get it going again, and they did. And, um, and the fact they found, started finding stuff that worked again, and Miami, you know, just couldn't keep up. What, what Mike Zimmer did is, you know, and you have to appreciate that Miami probably didn't anticipate this and probably had reason not to anticipate. Mike Zimmer blitzed the hell out of Ryan Tannehill in this game. Yes, he did. And he, in fact, he blitzed Ryan Tannehill more than not. And if you go back and Mike, Mike Zimmer's defense is a four, three defense. It's, it's very, you know, Seattle, like um, Miami Dolphins, like Matt Burke, you know, takes from Mike Zimmer. It's, it's a a lot like these four, three defenses like Philadelphia that don't blitz a lot. They just don't blitz a lot. They're not a blitzing defense. No. Uh, Go back in Mike Zimmer's history. He's not a blitzing guy. Well, he blitzed Tannehill more than he didn't blitz Tannehill, you know? So, and, and that's, if you, you can go back, uh, that might be the first time Mike Zimmer has ever done that. Um, because I went back six years and I didn't find a single game when he ever did that before. And, um, and so, you know, what it was is you know, once they had this lead uh, and knowing, knowing what Ryan Tannehill is facing uh, from, you know, a knee standpoint, getting over a two-year knee injury. A lot of people, we still don't talk about that. We don't talk about that that much, even though it is still an issue. Um, the shoulder thing, which, you know, we all talk about a lot. And uh, now this ankle pops up. And um, and we, I think he's got other issues even besides that, you know, just like little nagging stuff like his back and, 
and I heard about a leg issue before he even had the shoulder issue. You know, he's a beat up guy and, and Mike Zimmer clearly smelled blood in the water. And what do you do when you smell blood in the water uh, with a quarterback is you blitz the hell out of them. This is what you do with rookie quarterbacks when you think they don't know how to handle it yet. And this is what you do with older, physically impaired guys who you think can't protect themselves anymore. And, and that's what Ryan Tannehill is right now. He is diminished, all right? He is not, he's not the Tannehill we drafted. He is not the Tannehill of a couple of years ago, 2016, 2015, uh, uh, before when he was, you know, kind of a physical specimen, a physically very tough guy, could run around, throw the ball. I mean, he can run around a little bit, but he is physically diminished right now, and he cannot protect himself against those blitzes. That's why Miami is never going to come back from a 21 nothing like that. They're never going to be able to pass the ball around the field and get a wide-open you know, attack going and have him make plays from the backfield under duress and, uh, you know, and, and do some of those things. He's just not going to do that anymore. Uh, he's 30, and sometimes this year I think he looks 35. Um, and that, that's the way he looks to me, and that's the way Mike Zimmer – more importantly, that's the way he looked to Mike Zimmer. You know, you're seeing the downside of all these street free agents, which, you know, had been performing maybe a little bit better than they should have in some games, and then other games they come up duds like this. And, um, and, and then the guys that you need to step up and make plays, you know, don't have the talent to do it. Danny Amendola probably had his worst game as a Dolphin. Yes. Uh, and, and so it's just, it's just – it's really depressing to see that there's – you know, the – they just don't have the talent here. You know, you need defensive linemen to step up. Where's Charles Harris? He's never going to step up. You know, where's, where's Andre Branch? He's never going to step up. Well, I think, I think Charles Harris is, you know, I think it, it's over. Uh, it's over. I think so, too. Yeah, th- there's really nothing else. There's nothing yeah, I don't see. It's too bad. I, I was high on him just like anybody else. I wanted – I think I wanted Tack Well, tack you see McKinley, the speed. But... His rookie year, his rookie year, you could see it. It's on, it's on tape. Yeah. Now, fast he is in mm-hmm. game and you think to yourself okay if he's this fast on tape mm-hmm. it's eventually gonna you know it's gonna click the light bulb is gonna come on and sure. that's it now you were talking about street free agents and i think it's just an epidemic around the league like if you lose an offensive lineman you're done mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. at that spot at, at any spot really you, you just Ted larson was so bad again yeah he he's just bad period but yeah. we'll always have the miami miracle we'll always have that point yeah. Okay. But Travis but, Travis Swanson, for as much as we talked him up, you know, there are flip sides to that. He has bad games too. Yeah, but he could be one of the eight. Uh, I'm, I think that he could be one of the eight. Like uh, starting next year, he could be a backup yeah. center. He could be a backup. I think he'd be, I think I'd be aiming for him to be backup, but that's person. That's my. Yeah, opinion. I think that that's, that's fine. But I think it's an epidemic around the league. Yeah. Uh, it happened to the Cowboys yesterday, okay? They didn't mm-hmm. have Zach Martin. They had, they had Tyron Smith, and he played, but he didn't play particularly well. He had two bad penalties that negated big plays, but I forgot who they put in his place, but there were a sieve mm. at card and all that pressure up the middle short circuited Dak Prescott. Mm-hmm. And to further illustrate why it's an epidemic across the league, if you lose one offensive lineman, you're pretty much done. Teron Armstead is all world for the New Orleans Saints. Mm-hmm. Do you know who started at left tackle tonight for the New Orleans Saints? No, I didn't. I haven't been paying attention to that game at all. Jermon Bushrod. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and he has been an absolute mess in that game because I've been watching it here as I, as I was mm-hmm. recording with, with Simon. 
I was watching the game. And good Lord. Oh, yeah. He's got to uh, be a man. Like I think res- when you're on your second left tackle, you're, you're in some trouble. Okay. We respect Sean Payton a, a hell of a lot on this show. Mm-hmm. Although we've, you know, we've pointed out how he got his start in New Orleans where it wasn't much more different than Adam Gase, especially if Adam Gase wins nine games this year. If he yeah, wins right. nine games, he's going to actually match Sean Payton's first three years. Okay. But he evidently thinks that Jermon Bushrod at left tackle is a good idea. And I'm just saying there is no other ideas. If you lose an offensive lineman, you're pretty much done in this league. Well, but on the other hand, I mean, look at us. We, we think that Zach Stirrup at left tackle is a good idea, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, and I've talked him up before, you know, and, and I've said, you know, Hey, he looked pretty good in preseason. I wonder what he's going to look like in the regular, well, the regular season came and he looked terrible. I mean, that's because he's he's Zach Stirrup. Um, You know, I think that the evidence is in where, I think a third tackle or a third starting quality guard is mm. probably necessary pretty soon. I think yeah, to start shining a third quality starting caliber guard, just in case one of these disaster strikes. Because but it's not it's it's not just that it's it's so I think it's the teaching on the offensive line. I I really do. I I don't think I don't get so. I mean, there's there's a a blitz um in in the Dolphins uh, game where you'd swear you'd swear just by looking at it and and of course we don't know but um you know he comes he comes Anthony Barr comes right in over Ted Larson uh on a play action but based on the way the play action and the, and the flow of the blocking was and the, you're like Larry Tunsil you, you're probably when you see Anthony Barr threatening that B gap you probably need to know that you need to get over there and get him but he never looks at it he never look he, he never you know, engages uh, once. And then Kalen Balaj, this is the, the sack that supposedly Kalen Balaj led up in the game mm-hmm. uh, in pass protection. Okay, this was play action. This was pay, play action, and Kalen Balaj had to fake a handoff before he could try and get a hand, uh, try and get in the way of this, uh, of, of rushing Anthony Barr, who's beelining from the B gap straight, you know, straight to yeah. Ryan Tannehill. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and, and so it's like, yeah, what's Kalen Balaj going to do about that? It He's not going to be able to do anything. I think on that play, I think Laramie Tunsil is supposed to, as soon as he sees Anthony Barr threatening that B-gap, I think he's supposed to get over, and then that leaves Kalen Balaj to come off the play-action pass and get that defensive end because of the way the slide, the slide blocking is going. Um, but it doesn't happen. And you see a lot of stuff like that. You see a lot of, a lot of like, poorly – coached bad fundamental things on the offensive line um and with the blocking scheme in general and it's just like you know how how good of a how good of teaching uh, is Miami doing or you know if they're if they're suffering because they're suffering a lot of these they're not getting the they can't get the run fits right to save their lives right um and and Adam Gase you could hear his frustration today in his press conference talking about that exactly and how it's it's systemic. It's the entire it's the entire defense. It's a, a defensive end. You know, not Cameron Wake because Cameron Wake's been fine. A defensive end. He said that. <laughs> yeah. Not you know a defensive end. Not you know not doing it right. It's um it's a linebacker not getting his fit right. It's two guys getting in the same gap. It's um it's a safety not getting it right. It's a corner who you know if he's if he's got the opportunity he's supposed to shut down that edge and he doesn't. Um, it's everybody. And I think the teaching that points to the teaching 
And I think Adam Gase has to see that, right? I mean, he has to see that these guys aren't learning, you know, and they're, they're doing a shit job of communicating with each other. I'll tell you that on the field, you see, you see that happen all the time. You see players go off and do something, you know, thinking that they've communicated it to the rest of to the guys around them. And then they haven't, you know, and, and it just ends up being, you know, everybody not on the same page. Well, um, I, don't think, I don't think that you can fix it really by even teaching. Cause I don't think the practices allow now under the new CBA, I don't think the practices allow for the type of teaching that you could have done in the past. And I don't think it's just the dolphins because I don't watch the dolphin practice. And I, t- I told yeah. you about this in the preseason. I was like, man, I don't know what they get out of these practices. Like, yeah, I've been around, like, I hate to be, I hate to be the back in my day guy. Okay. Yeah. But I played in high school and I've seen a lot of college practices and I've seen a ton of Don Shula practices, even back end at the old St. Thomas practice grounds. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're talking the eighties. And then in through the nineties, I saw Nick Saban practices. In my opinion, I think his practices were the best. And the second best were probably Jimmy Johnson practices. I think Don Shula's practices were more punitive in nature, I would say. So I, I thought that all those criticisms that Don Shula used to get about his teams fading in December is because they had no legs and they were probably beat up from the season from all those long practices. I think that's absolutely true. But I spoke to a guy that worked for the Bills, Raiders, and Cowboys. And unless the Bills, Raiders, and Cowboys also have shit practices, he told me that that's how things are done in the NFL nowadays. There's not that much hitting. You, br- you can briefly talk to players. It's more about the meeting room and what you get done in the meeting room. So what we're not privy to, what we can't see on the field is where evidently something's going on, where yeah. they can't communicate to players. They don't see things as clearly as they should on tape. Well, I was Man, just going to say, you know, everybody everybody has their issues with practices, but not everybody is on pace to have literally the worst defense that's ever been played in the NFL. Yes. Um, and that's that's what the Dolphins have pace. I mean, weren't we just seeing the stats bandied about on Twitter today that um, that they've already allowed more points than the 2007 1-15 defense did? Uh, and they still have two games to go. <laughs> And um, and they're on pace, like you know, they they let up. If they let up, I think four more touchdowns or something like that, they're they'll be the worst yeah. scoring defense in NFL history. Four more touchdowns. Uh, that's all we got to do. That's all. That's it. Four more touchdowns in the in the next um in the next two games. Uh, you know, not every defense is the worst in history. So I I think, you know, I think there's a worse teaching problem going on in Miami than I. It's not. I'm not. It's not a a far leap. To say that, um, because... and let me say something about Rashad Rashad Jones' comments. Yes, okay, they have him playing a lot of single high. They have him playing essentially free safety because that's the way he spoke. He said, mm-hmm. you know, "I should be down in the box making plays." I think he was, by the way, specifically pissed off about that Tyler Con- Conklin thirty-three uh, yard pass um, where he, you know, he he wanted to be in the box there instead of was Walt Aikens and um, and you know anyway, yeah. Exactly. But he's faded this year. And yeah, he has. He misses okay. he misses tackling angles. And you see it. This is this is a defense that is bad in large part because they give up explosive plays. Yes. Um, you know, really big explosive plays. Well, what limits explosive plays? Speed. 
Speed limits explosive plays. When you have speed at safety and you have speed in the linebacker core, I mean, they got to get rid of Kiko Alonso. They got to get faster at linebacker. They got to get, they probably got to get rid of TJ McDonald and, and Rashad Jones and get faster in the safety, or at least one of them and get faster in the safeties unit because they need speed. They don't have it. And well, Rashad uh, Jones didn't forget how to play football in half a season because no, but he started off the season he's also not fast right now. Pretty well. Well, he's not fast right now, maybe because he's favoring the shoulder, but he's actually a fast player, at least when he plays in the box. He covers He used to be he, fast. He covers a lot of ground. Like I don't I don't think it really went away in inside of what, six games? No, I mean he was he was always a playmaker and he's still a playmaker, but you can see it when he's you can see it when he's in pursuit angles in the open field. And and that's where you see the athletic the athletic shortcomings come up because you know he's he's stumbling or he's breaking down and and you know not getting the right like he used to have the speed to get this angle and now he doesn't and so now he's stumbling to try and get back you know get back to the outside and it's I I think I see signs of physical shortcoming there unfortunately he's going to be here next year unless they trade him which I don't know who's going to take on that 11 million dollar salary of his and actually you know we might have to give a pick to do it just like the NBA um you know, he's going to be here next year because his, his next year's salary is guaranteed. You know, that's, that's the one thing people talk about dead cap and all that crap. That's not, that, that, that's not shit. It's the, it's the guaranteed salary that sinks you. It's the guaranteed salary that keeps a guy here longer than you want him to be here. And Rashad Jones has a guaranteed salary next year. So he's well, here. I think, I think Rashad Jones is one of those guys that once you move him back into the box, playing more of a traditional strong safety type. Okay. Mm-hmm. That the old Rashad Jones is going to return, and we're gonna we're gonna think back at these last six or seven mm-hmm. games that he's played, and it'll be a distant memory. We're gonna be like, oh, yeah, okay, that's the guy. That's that's, that's fair. Guy. I think that's fair because he made a play uh, yesterday that maybe Mika Fitzpatrick on this team can make, which was mm-hmm. that that hit on the sideline. He covered yeah, 20, yeah. about twenty eight yards in a dead yeah, sprint, but... and it took really a perfectly thrown ball right into that little dead zone yeah. behind the corner to make that completion. And even then, man, credit, I think it was Conklin who ended up with the uh, ball. Yeah, he got, he held, he held Okay, on. a lot of credit to him because he took a hell of a hit from Rashad Jones. He did. And he managed to get there. Right. Yeah, that was, that was all right. But, you know, at the same time, you know, hey, you let up the big, that was a big completion. <laughs> yeah, um, it was so, a big I mean, completion. Now, uh, yeah, he'll move, use him a little bit better, pair him with somebody that's not TJ McDonald. And you're going to get better results. And whether that has to be uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, we'll we'll just have to figure out. It would mean if it's not Minka, if it is Minka Fitzpatrick, you got to get another corner opposite Xavier Howard. It's all the things that we've been talking about. It's all the things that that we all think it is. And um, and it's just it's just terrible. It's too it's too bad. And then on offense, it's just like, man, I, I loved what they were trying to do. I really did. I, they were they were scoring zero points like until Minka Fitzpatrick had that brilliant play but they were scoring zero points and it was just because everybody traded turns you know screwing it up you know uh and it was and it was and it was it was amandola dropping a ball or um like twice i think and uh or it was uh it was bryce butler running out of stepping out of bounds before he catches a brilliant pass it was kenny stills kenny stills i believe on a first down play on a play that was going to work yes you know falling down falling down on the field you know while he's and how about and how about when they ran the double the double nine routes and kenny stills beats holton hill 
and Ken Hill airmails it on on an all-out blitz. They sent seven, and we managed to pick up seven (laughs) because we had max protection. And I remember when I saw that play, I was like, oh, my God, we scored right here, and we just took the lead because it was on one of those drives. Tannehill got jumpy, and and he he airmailed it. He airmailed it, and all he had to do was just put it out there, and and Kenny runs right under it because Kenny was was absolutely in a dead sprint. And, and they were doing a lot of they were doing a lot of pullback in the cover too. So they were waiting for that opportunity. Yes. You know, they were waiting for that. And they got it. And they picked up they picked up what they needed to pick up to to hit it. And then Tannehill gets itchy. You know, that's that's what happened on the play. Yeah. He got itchy and he and he laid it way too far out there. Yeah. And I, I, I think I, I've said not it before. Like inherent accuracy. It's just that he got itchy on the play. Yeah, I said it before, and we talked about, you know, because we're not going to talk about the road woes here because yeah, oh, well-documented. We've talked about it enough. But it's a problem. But yeah, it is a problem. And, and, I, and I said it before, I think it's their ability to breathe in these games. Mm-hmm. Like, to complete that pass to Kenny Stills and, mm-hmm. and give us the lead after being down 21 to nothing, mm-hmm. it, just take it, it just took a deep breath from Tannehill to just mm-hmm. sit there and say, okay, I might get hit. It's a distinct possibility. That yeah. by me setting up here and stepping into this throw to deliver a perfectly thrown ball here and score seven points. Yeah, it's probably going to take me getting hit. But no, he got itchy and he, he hurried it and mm-hmm. he out threw, he out threw Kenny Stills, who was on a dead yeah, one of the, one of the, by, yeah, one of the by best 15 yards. One of the best deep receivers, really, statistically, uh, over the last five seasons or something like that. And, Stills, <laughs> and by the way, Stills didn't have a step. He had no, five he yards. Had, on he had five yards. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. I, I remember that one. And yeah, the, and there were, but there were others like that. There was a in near the near the red zone, um, the drive that ends in a field goal. I think it was. This is the one that he threw to Nick O'Leary that uh, he got nailed as soon as he as soon as the ball came in and he couldn't couldn't hold on to it. You know, you need to be you need to be Travis Kelsey to hold on to that ball probably but yeah um but anyway but on that play you look at who pops open I mean it's, it's double crossing routes and uh and Nick O'Leary's breaking to the right Kenny Stills is breaking to the left Kenny Stills had nobody on his side Nick O'Leary had a linebacker waiting for him on his side and Tannehill throws it to Nick O'Leary you know and and that's that's a pure that's a pure mistake on Tannehill's part um there's another one the one that the one that he throws up on a prayer to Devonte Parker, and we're lucky Devonte, uh, you know, broke that up in the he end made zone. The play of the season for him. <laughs> yeah, so he did. He made the play of the season for him. Um, yeah. You know, but that one that Tannehill just just throws up on a prayer and doesn't throw it very well, to be honest. You know that they if you just extend that there was a blitz there. If you just extend that play like half a second longer, breathe like you said, breathe and hit Kenyon Drake as your outlet. Kenny Drake leaking out to the left-hand side as your outlet. That's the open man. And, you know, that you probably get you probably get a conversion. Maybe. I mean, that guy can make plays, so you can get, probably get a touchdown. Yeah. All right. Before we get out of here, uh, do you agree with my assessment of the running back situation for next year that Callum Balazs is going to be the quasi-starter sharing time with Kenyon Drake? Discuss with Simon, you know, about some of the reasons why Kenyon Drake wasn't getting more action. Yeah, um, uh, he's he's completely beat up. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's really beat up. So yeah. because of that, that's what leads me to not know. But knowing Kenyon Drake's history at Alabama, where he he never was the starter in large part because they thought that he was always going to get beat up, you know, then then I say yeah, that's a, probably a pretty good bet. All right. 
you got an extended three yards per carry this week. When we talk to you guys again on Thursday, we'll be previewing the Jacksonville Jaguars, which, you know, hopes are not dead, but they're not necessarily <laughs> alive either. All right. So that's the it. Undead. The undead dolphins. Yes. Yes. The undead Ryan Tannehill. Uh. <laughs> that's it. There is no more. So see you on Thursday. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider.